This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Scott. Hi, I'm Jenny. Hi, I'm Tomahome. And we're going to talk new releases, recent arrivals. It's been a while since we had Scott on. Hello, everybody. Welcome, Scott. Thank you for having me back. Oh, anyway. I've been, I've been just uh, I've just been craving getting on here. I I was <laughs> listening to your your reading envy show where you were talking <clears throat> about reading goals and Scott. It sounds like you've you, you've overcommitted yourself. Uh, <laughs> Do you think? I think so. Yes, <laughs> a whole bunch of reading. Well, the only the only thing I haven't successfully uh, done this month was uh, the Gene Wolfe. I started it, but then I went over to Hyperion, and Hyperion is just so good. Yeah, I, I was watching your progress on that. But I'm yeah, well into so it. Gene Wolfe, I mean, that, that's a year-long project just by itself is my guess. Yeah. yeah um, but right. Jenny, I, I have confidence she can achieve whatever goal she sets because no matter what happens, she always ends up reading way more than I can possibly imagine. <clears throat> yes. That's uh, bionic. Yeah, I've been having fun. Well, I, I I was listening to your show and you were talking about wanting uh, spy novels. And mm-hmm. I've got a couple. Um, one I've not read, but I've seen the movie and I listened to the audio drama, and I I know the story backwards and forwards, so I'm, I can recommend it. And I I wouldn't be averse doing a read along on it because I know how good it will be. Um, the Ipcris file by Len Dayton. Have you heard of Len Dayton? Mm-mm. Len Dayton, uh, he came out just uh, like a week or so after the James Bond books, the Ian Fleming books, and um, he's sort of the the uh, more serious, highbrow version of of uh, James Bond. But uh, the movies, instead of starring you know Sean Connery, they star uh, Michael Caine. Hmm. And what's cool about it is, is James Bond is sort of an upper class playboy. Whereas uh, the unnamed uh, spy from the Len Dayton spy novels in the Ipcris Files, the first one, um, is a, a lower class guy. So, you know, James Bond is like a commander in the Navy. Well, uh, the unnamed spy is like a sergeant in the Army. And so you get like a lot more, um, uh, like a, a very different perspective on like the 60s uh, and spying. It's much more hard as well, you know, like. Um, you feel the emotions of the characters when their fellow agents get killed and such, such hmm. like that. So I would recommend that, especially if you're into a visit back to the 1960s, which is, which is very cool. 60s London is fun. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks. Mm. The other one. Uh, oh, sorry. I was going to say as a kid, I read, uh, the born identity in like one day. So that's definitely a readable book. Yeah. That's, um, that, that's uh, the problem with that one is it makes you read the whole series. I, I, I read the first one. But I think it's standalone though. The first it is standalone, but then you say, well, what's really going on behind this Jason right. stuff. Right. Um, and then I don't think he knew <laughs> he was writing it, but, uh, yeah, it's not it's not a bad one. Um, the other one I wanted to recommend is uh, by Jeffrey Household, who is earlier and also English, and um, it's called Rogue Mail, uh, and it came out in 1939, wow. and it's uh, really 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 well written, first person perspective, um, and the protagonist is 
sort of a freelance spy in that he thinks uh, an unnamed yet very obvious uh, a Central European dictator needs to be assassinated. And so he takes on that task himself and he gets, quote unquote, not Hitler in his sights. Um, but it really is Hitler, right? Um, and then uh, the SS find him. And uh, it's sort of his race for survival across um, Europe. That's very, very fun. Hmm. And because it came out in 1939, it's, it's, it's like a, a really interesting period piece because it, it, it doesn't say, you know, it never says anywhere in there that it's Hitler, but it's really obvious that it's Hitler. <laughs> like, it's not Mussolini for sure. Cool. Now, I wanted to mention while you were talking there, I looked this up. Um, SFF Audio Podcast 95 mm-hmm. is your discussion with Professor Rapkin about SSGB. Oh, yeah. Also by Len Dayton. Is that oh, is that by Len Dayton? Jeez. Yeah. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that. I haven't read mm-hmm. that much Len Dayton, but um, I've, seen, I've seen all the, the mm-hmm. movies that were inspired by his books. I guess that one doesn't have a – I love spy stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a fun. And SSJB, that's not a spy thing. That that was like an alternate history. I think. Yeah, it's a, it's like uh, the Man in the High Castle, except for England, right? It's yeah. set in the '60s, and uh, you know, it's a little less trippy than Philip K. Dick. <laughs> you know, it's not. Uh, yeah. It's not. It's it's more spy like, but um, it's interesting because it uses Land Dayton. Apparently, um, was a real stickler for accuracy and detail. Uh, when it comes to, you know, research. And uh, the Nazis had planned out all their... Uh, they had planned out what they're going to do to England when they get when they get in there. You know, mm. who to, who to yeah. kick out of the yeah. government, who to keep, and how to s- set it up so that they could, you know, get the Jews out and such. Mm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Scott, is that your first time reading Hyperion? No, this is my second. Okay. Yeah. But I never read I never read The Fall of Hyperion, part two. Oh. I can't explain why, but I haven't. It's, <laughs> so I'm reading Hyperion again because... <laughs> that's right. The, the Fall oh, of Hyperion awkward. is directly <laughs> after. <laughs> Actually, I only like two chapters in Fall of Hyperion, so that this probably... Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh. You're reading but, it right now, or that was in the past? No, I, I have in the past. Okay. And that is, since this is an audio, uh, SFF audio podcast, the audiobook for Hyperion is magnificent. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who reads it, but he is fantastic. Is it Jonathan Absolutely. Davis? No. No. There's, there's more than one reader, too, because uh, there are other voices that pop in sometimes. Oh, um, okay. But it is, it is a superior audiobook. It is very good. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure we did that as a show. I don't know if we've done, done Hyperion as a 300 now. I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> there's one. There's there's several narrators, uh, five of them. Mark Viator, Allison Johnson, Kevin Pars- Pariso, Jay Snyder, and Victor Bevine, or Bevine. Um Anyway, it's really super good on audio. I also, I know we're going to get to the the new releases of Recent Arrivals, but I, I wanted to ask, anybody read Wool, the Hugh Alley books? Yes. Okay, um, I I got the I was in the bookstore the other day and and they had the graphic novel on sale so I I, I somehow couldn't get the interest up to read the uh, audiobook I don't know why 
uh, maybe it was too popular. Um, but I picked up the audio, uh, not the audio, the graphic novel, um, and I read it all the way through. And now I have questions. Hmm. <laughs> you would <laughs> because that bugs me. Because is it are the questions there at the end of the first five novellas or whatever it's called? Um, some of them are, and then there's two more sets. You know, shift and uh, I can't remember what the other set is called. Dust, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, 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 I want to know if those questions get answered because I don't like. I, I think that's part of the reason I didn't want to read it is I don't like having a whole bunch of open questions that I think might be answered later on because then I have to read more. Yeah, well, I think that's why it's written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is isn't the um, graphic novel the equivalent of the first novella? Uh no, I I believe each uh, it's five um it's five uh chapters. segments chapters yeah and I believe each it's the first five novellas. Okay. Because so that's the equivalent of war. Yeah, like they're having a war uh, in Silo eighteen by the end of the near the end okay. of the book. Yeah, that's such an interesting universe. Yeah, and annoyingly interesting because I, I <laughs> feel like I should have done a read along on on it because I have so many questions. Many well, questions and I think it's telling that there are two more sets, but this is one of the universes that the author has allowed people to write fan fiction in that Amazon mm-hmm. program. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, it's mentioned in the back of this graphic novel, actually. Yeah, so clearly at the end there are more ideas and more topics to explore within the world itself. Mm-hmm. Which Kindle is cool. Worlds. Yeah, Kindle Worlds is the Kindle Worlds, Kindle. thank you. <clears throat> yeah, and I've downloaded one of those, but I haven't ever read it. But there's there's several already out there, and I think that that's pretty interesting. But I can't tell you how that works, because you don't really know that at the end of Wool. <laughs> Frustrating. Yeah. But interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna. I think Luke did a show on. Well, I can't remember if he he told me what what he thought was going on, or if he just did that away, saying spoilers or whatever. But uh, it is annoying, and uh, it's niggling at my mind. Hmm. I don't like that. Maybe intriguing is the word. I guess, but I I feel like you know it's all about the ideas. Get those ideas out, and so there's. I would say the thing I don't like about it is. There's a lot of machinations uh, between the characters and just, you know, political maneuvering. And I'm more interested in, you know, what, what's actually going on. And, I mean, it's not even that long. That's the problem, right? Is it, it's, it's not even that long. Hmm. So hmm. I feel like I'm, I'm going to have to get the sequels to find out. Not, I don't read series, you know that, right? We won't tell. All right. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> Why don't we why don't we start on the crossover titles from other genres? Yep. I'm gonna read the first one because I'm gonna listen to this one. It's called Mobile Library by David Whitehouse, an author I do not know. Read by Tim Gerard Reynolds from Simon and Schuster Audio. Um, let's see, where is it start? An archivist of his mother, Bobby Nusku spends his nights meticulously cataloging her hair, clothing, and other traces of the life she left behind. By day, Bobby and his best friend Sonny hatch a plan to transform Sonny limb by limb into a cyborg who could keep Bobby safe from schoolyard torment and from Bobby's abusive father and his beach blonde girlfriend. When Sonny is injured in a freak accident, Bobby is forced to face the world alone. 
Out in the neighborhood, Bobby encounters Rosa, a peculiar girl whose disability invites the scorn of bullies. When Bobby takes Rosa home, he meets her mother, Val, a lonely divorcee whose job is cleaning a mobile library. Bobby and Val come to fill the emotional void in each other's lives, but their bond also draws unwanted attention. After Val loses her job and Bobby is beaten by his father, they abscond in a 16-wheel bookmobile. On the road, (laughs) they are joined by Joe, a mysterious but kind-hearted ex-soldier. This puzzle of people will travel across England. So I can't remember why I decided that was crossover, even. It sounds cute. It sounds fun. (laughs) I think I saw the word cyborg. But I don't think they're actually cyborgs. I think they just are pretending. Picturesque Mm. adventure. Oh. Yeah. Across country in a stolen mobile library. Stolen bookmobile. <laughs> That's funny. I, I think it count, uh, qualifies. I'm not sure how it qualifies, but I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah. <laughs> then, that, then they become the bookworm, the villain for Batman. <laughs> Maybe that's the hidden story. <laughs> <laughs> wow, crazy. Tom S. is going to uh, review the next one. Who, uh, do we do we know the identity of these people? Like S. Period. I don't know who that is. I know yes. I know it's a couple <laughs> of Toms. Uh, all right. So this is The Magician's Lie, uh, a novel. I guess that means, if it says a novel, that means it's not a series, right? Or at least it's sure. first in a series. Historical general fiction. Uh, Water for Elephants meets The Night's Circus. I see why Jenny put this on the list. In The Magician's Lie, a debut novel in which the country's most notorious female illusionist stands accused of her husband's murder, and she has only one night to convince a small-town policeman of her innocence. Sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. The Amazing Arden is the most famous female illusionist of her day, renowned for her notorious trick of sawing a man in half on stage. I love it. It's all reversed, right? Mm. Uh, one night in Waterloo, Iowa, Iowa, sorry, Waterloo, Iowa, with a young policeman, Virgil Holt, watching from the audience, she swaps her trademark saw for a fire axe. <laughs> is it a new version of the illusion? illusion or an all-too-real murder? When Arden's husband is found lifeless beneath the stage later that night, the answer seems clear. But when Virgil happens upon f- happens upon the fleeing magician and takes her into custody, she has a very different story to tell. Even handcuffed and alone, Arden is far from powerless, and what she reveals is an un- uh, is as unbelievable as it is spellbinding. I'm not loving the writing here. <laughs> Over the course of one eerie night, Virgil must decide <clears throat> to return Arden turn Arden in or set her free and it will take all why doesn't he just take her to the police station is it like a storm or something that that'd be my excuse if I was writing this book it sounds interesting though it's all backstory that's right? cool yeah you know the the word Arden reminds me of the prestige by mm-hmm. Christopher Priest and uh, I just looked it up while you were talking and the two characters in there one is named Angier and the other one is named Borden. Mm-hmm. Hmm. A and B. So it's like a, a it's like a combination of those two names is Arden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is by Gur McAllister, who is the first time author. So neat. Yeah, mm. I know. It I always like include, it could be really good. Yeah, I always include illusionists and magicians because of us talking about the prestige. I guess. Yeah, it, it feels like it fits in. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like it. Who's up next? Pleasure. A calling. <laughs> this sounds like a damn book to me. <laughs> Should I read it? I guess. A pleasure, oh. a pleasure and a calling by Phil Hogan. Um, in the tradition of Patricia Highsmith's Tom Ripley novels, 
comes a deliciously unsettling, darkly funny novel about a man who quietly spies on the private lives of his neighbors. You won't remember Mr. Hemming. He was the estate agent who showed you around your comfortable home, suggested a financial package, negotiated a price with the owner, and called you with the good news. The less good news is that, all these years later, he still has the key. Mm -mm. That's absurd, you laugh. Of all the many hundreds of houses he had sold, why would he still have the key to mine? The answer is, he has the keys to all of them. Good premise. Yeah, that is neat. Uh, William Hemming's most at home in a stranger's private things. He makes it his business to know all their secrets and how they arrange their lives. His every pleasure is in his leafy community. Um, he loves and knows every inch of it, feels nurtured by it, and would defend it. Perhaps not with his life, but if it came to it, with yours. <laughs> yeah, this is neat. Things begin to change when Mr. Hemming's obsession shifts from many people to one, and then a dead body winds up in someone's garden. For a man who is going to go, who's used to going unremarked, Mr. Hemming's, Mr. Hemming finds his natural routine becomes uncomfortably interrupted. You know, we read a lot of these things, and um, sometimes they're well written, sometimes they're not well written. That one was better than mm -hmm. the previous one. <laughs> I mean, you can say, uh, the, they have a certain job to do, right? They have to get the yeah. facts out so you you know whether it sounds interesting or not. But yeah, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, that's that really sounds like it could be good too. Um, so what's that? Uh, it's not quasi serial killer genre, um, <laughs> creepy, creepy horror sort of thing, maybe. Yeah, yeah creepy horror. Me. It's weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, is he? Yeah, he's not killing people, right? He's let's see. A dead body winds up, so we don't know if we he's don't know the killer or not. But it'd be creepy. interesting if he was like uh, trying to find the killer. Yeah, I, and Patricia Highsmith is um, a good a good name to call out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, this is one of the ones I put on the list. I think you didn't have it on the list before, right, Jenny? Right. The Brenda and Effie mysteries. Okay, so um, Paul Maggers, and uh, this is from it's by Paul Maggers. It's read by Anne Reed. It's from Baffle Gab. Now, Baffle Gab is normally um, an audio drama group uh, in the UK, and they do really great stuff. Um, but when they sent me the notice on this, uh, you know, it was their first audiobook, and notice it's only an hour and 30 minutes long. So they're going to be putting out a bunch more, and uh, it just showed up on Audible. So hmm. we d definitely need to read through this, and I will do it. So here it is. Welcome to the mysterious town of Whitby, where all the monsters and demons of old come to retire and live out the remainder of their spooky days and nights and eat fish and chips on the seafront. There's a strange new landlady in town opening a B&B &B by the harbor, a lady with a tall black beehive, nasty scars about her person, and a very checkered past. Soon she's teamed up with a part-time witch, Effie, and together they investigate the mystery of the ghostly singing cat on the rooftops of the old town, and the savage maulings of old ladies in lonely alleys. Also, there's something very peculiar about the awful painting that Effie drags home from an auction. Can it really be coming to ghastly life? Superannuated with... Sorry, superannuated supernatural sleuths Brenda and Effie are veterans of six cult novels by Paul Maggers. Uh, he's a Doctor Who writer. Who now... And now Anne Reed, Last Tango in Halifax and Dinner Ladies. I guess those are her movies. Uh, brings Maggers' macabre creations to life in their very first adventure, written especially for audio. Here we are, at the very start, about to hear the truth about what happened when Brenda met Effie for the first time. 
And reading that makes me want to read, listen to the audiobook. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty fun. It sounds very, um, I don't know, Douglas Adamsy. Yeah. Little characters and yeah, Neil Strange Neil. Town. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Time. I'd definitely give that a listen. All right. <clears throat> can't go wrong at an hour and a half. No, you can't. And uh, I like it. if you like it, there's going to be more. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we're into a new, new genre. A very short genre. Only <laughs> one title. Time travel. Time travel. And this is a translated book. Cool. Uh, the Last Passenger by Manel Lorero, translated by Andres Alfaro, and read by Angela Daw. Reporter Kate Kilroy accepts an assignment to travel on the Valkyrie, a German ship failed in secrecy for decades after it was discovered adrift in 1939, with only one passenger aboard, a baby boy named Isaac Feldman. Obsessed with understanding his origins, Feldman has spent a small fortune restoring the Valkyrie to try to solve the mystery. Assembling a team of experts and sparing no expense, he aims to precisely recreate the circumstances of the Valkyrie's doomed final voyage. Little does Feldman or his team know that the ship has an agenda of its own. As the Valkyrie begins to weave its deadly web, Kate realizes she must not only save herself, but the world as she knows it. Hmm. Sounded different. Mm-hmm. That's cool. totally different. Mm-hmm. What, it's translated from Spanish? I would guess so, or Portuguese. Okay. That's one of those names I'm not quite sure on. Yeah. Someday I hope to assemble a team of experts and spare no expense. <laughs> <laughs> you, you haven't figured out what the topic is. That you're, that's, <laughs> I guess we have a team of experts here now with us, don't we? I, we, just need, we just need a crime to solve. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what happened to the missing Tam? That's my question. <laughs> uh, we're into science fiction. And science yay. fiction. Yay. yay. There he is. This is uh I think this is the first one might be a Tam book. Yay. It, potentially, potentially. We don't know if it's good or not. But, but Scott, you, you already want I'm to gonna review it, yeah. Okay. I need to get back into some reviewing and Wow. Um, yeah, so the uh I guess the twelfth book of this series just came out, if I understand right. Mm-hmm. By Rick Brown. So rather than start at number 12, I thought I'd start at number one and review just the first one. Um, It's called Aurora CV-01, The Frontier Saga Number One. It's about seven hours long, Um, again by Rick Brown. And Uh, with a Y. Yeah, R-Y-K Brown. A world recovering from a devastating plague, period. A brutal enemy threatening invasion, period. A young man seeking to escape the shadow of his father. A ship manned by a crew of fresh academy graduates. A top-secret experimental propulsion system. A questionable alliance with a mysterious green-eyed woman. What destiny has in store for the crew of the UES Aurora is far greater than any of them could ever imagine. And this is only the beginning. That's very uh, intriguing, mysterious. Yeah. And I like it's better written because I'm, 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 I'm liking that. Um, you know, it also sounds like a Scott book because it, it sounds very, you know, Star Trek, uh, you know, they, the Academy graduates get on board the ship and there's an engineer and Scott, Scott likes that part and then there's a captain and yeah. Scott likes that part. <laughs> you're right, first you're right. Officer, Scott likes that part. Yeah, and the green-eyed woman. It's, I believe it's time for the sound effects, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> heck yeah, heck yeah. Where's the sound effect? 
He wants the face. He wants the face. Oh, oh, here we go. Yeah, sorry. We're sparing no expense. Team of experts. All right. It's a real phaser, folks. Careful. Yeah, that's a real phaser, people. And according to um, the guy at Tantor, Mm -hmm. this is one of their most prolific science fiction writers that they do audiobooks for. Mm -hmm. So I had never heard of him before. I'll be interested to hear what you think. Yeah, I, I hope I like it. 2013, so uh, 12 books in, in two years is pretty impressive. Yeah. That is impressive. That I, is impressive. I would assume some of those were written prior to 2013. I'm sure. <laughs> Probably so. Probably so. He types like Jenny Reads, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> We've got an, a, a new book here called Hellhole. I believe Hellhole. Hellhole. We had that, we had that title is, for another book a few years ago. Yeah. This is a, this is a hellhole not written by Kevin J. Anderson. This is a new hellhole. Gina and it Demi- sounds pretty cool. <laughs> is the Who wants author? to read it? I'll do it. Okay. Gina D'Amico's the author, narrated by McLeod Andrews. It's nine hours, and uh, it goes like this: A devil is a bad influence. There was a time when geeky, squeaky clean Max Kilgore would never lie or steal or even think about murder. Then he accidentally unearthed the devil. And Max's choices are no longer his own. The big red guy has a penchant, uh, penchant, there we go, penchant for couch surfing and junk food. And it sounds like Alf. <laughs> and <laughs> you should never underestimate evil on a sugar high. With the help of Lore, that's L, capital L-O-R-E, uh, a former goth girl who knows a thing or two about the dark side, Max is racing against the clock to get rid of the house guests from hell before... Time and the flaming hot Cheetos. This side of the fiery abyss, run out. All the flaming uh, hot Cheetos. Okay, nice. Aster is <laughs> sponsored by flaming hot Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, this is a YA. Uh, am I it wrong? Is. Okay. Yeah, it, it sounds like a comedy as well. Presumably, if it's not a comedy, it'd be a very strange book. <laughs> sounds like a tasty book. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right, this one this one is definitely Tam's area. Yeah, I think I actually mentioned this, but it wasn't on the list. Go for it. Uh, Proxima by Stephen Baxter, book one in the Proxima series. The very Let's see how many paragraphs is this? Two. The very far future, the galaxy is a drifting wreck of black holes, neutron stars, and chill white dwarves. The age of star formation is long past. Yet there is life here, fitting off the energies of the stellar remnants, and there is mind, a tremendous galaxy-spanning intelligence, each of whose thoughts lasts a hundred thousand years. And this mind cradles memories of a long-gone age when a more compact universe was full of light. The 27th century Proxima Centauri, an undistinguished red dwarf star, is the nearest star to our sun, and in this fiction, the nearest to a host to host a world, Proxima Four habitable by humans. But Proxima 4 is unlike Earth in many ways. Huddling close to the warmth, orbiting in weeks, it keeps one face to its parent star at all times. The substellar point, with the star forever overhead, is a blasted desert, and the anti-stellar point on the far side is under an ice cap in perpetual darkness. How would it be to live on such a world? Yuri Jones, with a thousand others, are, is about to find out. <laughs> hey, I like Stephen Baxter. I can tell you that. Yeah, me too. I've read any novel by Stephen Baxter. I like that there's, it says in brackets, in this fiction. I think that 
when this was maybe before this was written, when this was written, it was not true that there was a habitable planet around Proxima. Uh, and now we know that there isn't, so they have to say. It. Wow. Like, I think that's what's going on. You know, in the in the nineteen forties and fifties, they had tons of stories. Practically every science fiction magazine had a story set on Mars, and now there's almost no story set on Mars, you know, except for The Martian, and that's that's the Mars as we know it. It's not a, like a you know a dying civilization. There's it's just no no living things. So. I like that they have to put in brackets in this fiction. <laughs> There's a, uh, a planet orbiting around there. In case you get confused. Yeah. It's a, like sort of a stickler for detail. You know, this sounds familiar. Did you talk about this on a previous show, Tam? Yeah, I mentioned that. I mean, it was published in England like a year ago, and it just came in the bookstores in America like last month. So mm-hmm. I mentioned but I don't think there was an audiobook at the time, and now there is. It's long. Yeah, and we were trying to figure out what it was really about because it was like the last two sentences were missing. Mm. Okay. You know, so it was just like this very broad description of this universe. Mm-hmm. So this helps. Clearly, there's a person oh. named Yuri. Yeah. Now it's a Jenny book. <laughs> <laughs> it's not dy- it's not dystopia yet. They're they're still on their way. <laughs> Maybe they'll run into it. Give it a thousand years. I don't know. Which side of the planet would you live on? The desert or the ice? I think you have to sort of straddle the... Yeah, run on the border. Right? (laughs) Rotating houses. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Sounds right. Brilliant. So uh, I I wanted to have this one on the list uh, because it's a giant short story collection by Kate Wilhelm. It's called Kate, Kate Wilhelm in Orbit. It's narrated by one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, no, six or more narrators. Um, it's 24 hours, 28 minutes long, so um, wow. it's a huge book. Um, and it's all the short stories, I think, I think it's all the short stories, published by Kate Wilhelm in the Orbit Anthologies, which ran from 1966 to 1980. Yeah, all edited by Damon Knight. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, that was her husband, right? Uh, I don't know. I, don't I didn't know. know that if it's true. That's interesting. I believe so. Um, one of the, uh, they certainly had a long-term relationship there, 1966 to 1980 anyways. Um, the the uh, interesting thing is that uh, in that period of time, starting this in the 50s up to the 80s, there was basically only two ways you could get uh, fiction that was new, like brand new fiction, and that was either in magazines or in anthologies, um, or what would be called collections, I guess, not anthologies. And this or Orbit was like one of the big ones. There was a star, a star science fiction was before that. And sometimes there would be, um, you know, here, here and there collections. But Orbit was a huge uh, deal mm. a long time. It, yeah, and I've read I've read some of those. I remember I, I had to look it up before the podcast because I was really interested in this one too. But she wrote a story called The Planners that I read. Um, but I don't I don't the notes that I wrote on it is like I don't believe that I got it. I said, <laughs> um, but it it has something to do with uh, a psychologist who works with ways to increase the intelligence of monkeys and has continual vivid fantasies throughout. And it's not often clear if what he's experiencing is real or not. That was my notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
But I remember reading that. Um, so that was in Orbit three, and it would be kind of neat to try and get all twenty one of those. But th- it is a pretty high quality anthology. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I also noted some of the other stories that were in Orbit three. Like there was a Gene Wolfe story called The Changeling that I liked. Um, no, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, yeah, it doesn't. We don't have a lot of those anymore. But no. um, I know that Strahan does some. I, like I'd they like were Eclipse, more. the Eclipse series. I don't know if he's still doing them, though. I'd like to see, like, you know, other authors in orbit, you know, Harlan Ellison mm-hmm. in orbit or whatever. Yeah, maybe this yeah. is the beginning of that. That uh, would be neat. And uh, But, yeah, also notable in here is that it includes where the late The Sweet Birds Sang, yep. which won yeah. a Hugo for Best Novel in 1977. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have that separately in Audible. I downloaded it, but I haven't listened to that yet. But I'm, I really want to hear that one. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. I guess this one will be part of it. Cool. Uh, one of the descriptions in there says, uh, uh, it says, other stories include a road trip into a woman's psyche, primal fears through the eyes of a wise and empathic alien, an encounter in a bus depot during a raging winter storm, and the first interactive reality TV show. Hmm. Just, Sounds good. Yeah. It's, it's sort yeah. of a nice slice of a, an author's uh, you know, writing. If they, I don't. I don't know. Uh, Kate Wilhelm wrote, wrote any novels. I know her as a short story writer. Um, probably. Yeah, I, I don't know that much else other than what I said about her. All right. Well, uh, I wanted to add this next one to the list because I, it sounds cool, and uh, I think, like Jenny, I, I think Jenny, you're a fan of debut novels, right? Sure. Yeah, this is a debut novel, it says, and um, although I'm a little wary, you know, because sometimes they're just pseudonyms, <laughs> and it's a way to trick me into reading a debut novel six times by the same author, um, but it sounds good. Um, it's called Super Ego. Um, that's all one word. Can a genetically engineered psychopath grow a conscience, get the girl, and save the galaxy? Two out of three ain't bad. Rico has a problem. The experimental program that gave him his... Ho- the high intelligence and lightning reflexes he needs as a hitman for a galactic crime syndicate left him incapable of internalizing moral imperatives the rest of us take for granted. It takes real effort for him to pass as a normal human being, and he avoids it whenever he can. But he has a job he loves, a fast ship, and plenty of cash, so life is good. When Rico takes an assignment on a planet where a major political conference seeks to bring more order to the galaxy, he accidentally thwarts a terrorist attack and has to pose as a visiting cop from a faraway world. To complicate matters, he partners with a local female cop, and soon realizes he has fallen in love. That shouldn't happen, but not everything is as it seems. And so the story speeds along from one unexpected plot twist to the next, and I just went <laughs> skipped up to see what how long it is, and I lost my spot. Ten hours, thirty minutes. Um, uh... Rico discovers the secret of his own identity, faces a terrible choice. Oh. <laughs> will Rico will Rico recover? Oh my god. Will will Rico live to become fully human or will he die <laughs> just as he gasps what he has been missing? Gasps. Grasps what he's been missing from his life. Frank Fleming's exciting debut novel combines action, romance, moral philosophy in an entertaining and combustible mix. I'm a bad entertainingly combustible. Yeah. But I, nice. I, I think, you know, it's just, it, it sounds like, wasn't there a book a couple of years ago? Uh, Mr. There was a, like a, I'm not a serial killer. 
you know, what's that? Mm-hmm. Dan Wells? Yeah, Dan Wells, about a kid who's a sociopath, um, but doesn't uh-huh. want to be. Yeah. I thought yep. that it might, it, this sounds like sort of a comedic science fiction-y version of that. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Debut novels, you know. <laughs> so it's like Dexter. Yeah, something like that. Dexter in space. Dexter in space. Cool. Okay, so well, this this next one on there, um, I wanted to talk about because this is a series that I've lost track of completely. But when I saw this book, I'm like, oh, I've got to re- I got to pick these up again. It's called A Murder of Clones um, by Christine Catherine Rush, and this is book three in a series called Anniversary Day, which is part of the Retrieval Artist universe. So I've read probably four or five of the Retrieval Artist novels, and they are fantastic, every one of them. Um, and uh, so this is a series I need to pick up, but this is a brand new one. Um, a Deadly Conspiracy. <clears throat> the anniversary day bombings on the moon sent shockwaves throughout the Earth Alliance. That's probably a spoiler for previous books. No one knows who created the clones responsible and turned them into ruthless killers. Ooh. No one knows where or when they'll strike next. The bombings compel the Earth Alliance Frontier Marshal Judita Gomez to launch an unauthorized investigation into a case from her past involving the murder of clones. An investigation that might cost Judita not only her career but the lives of her crew. The third book in the Anniversary Day saga sheds further light on the Anniversary Day events and introduces several new key characters. Anyway, from what I've read uh, of her stuff, this is really worthwhile. Um, and, yeah, i got to pick it back up. The, I, the very it looks like first, I have about six books to read. Very first retrieval artist story on Audible, Scott. Which one was that? It was, uh, it was called The Retrieval Artist, <laughs> and it was uh, by Deuce Audio. Oh, right. Read by Stefan Rudnicki. That's, that sounds vague. Which was the original, the original uh, novelette. And Is that what you're asking? Yes. Or, um, yes. yes. And it was yes. produced by whom? By me. That's right. <laughs> ah. Yeah. And I loved it. And so are they all by the same author? Yes, they are. Hmm. Yep. Are they like? And then she wrote. Uh, they... She took. She took that novelette, and then she wrote a novel out of it, which, which is kind of loosely based on the novelette. Um, and I'm pretty sure the first one just called is called, the Retrieval Artist, yeah, it isn't is. it? Yeah. The first novel. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then um, from there she just started writing novels in this universe, and it's a universe that would make a, a terrific. Well, it obviously has made a terrific series, but it could be. You know, it's something on TV or whatever. Yeah, yeah it it's, could be. It's like um, sort of detective-ish, right? It's yeah, it, it's a noir. Well, not Bounty noir. Hunter. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a art, private eye. Art book. The, 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 the first couple books are kind of private eye-ish, mm-hmm. where somebody's hiring the, a, a retrieval artist. Okay. <laughs> They're people that have to disappear. That's what the first book is called, The Disappeared. Ah. Uh. Okay, so the a retrieval artist is someone who finds someone who's disappeared. There are aliens who we have, um, I guess, have treaties and stuff with at this point in in history, and so there's more than one race in the in our solar system. Um, but some of these races have. Uh, they have customs that are easy 
easily breakable, and sometimes when you break these customs, you're sentenced to death. So if a person were to break one of these things, what they do is they disappear. Um, it's really just you know going, getting a new identity and get going somewhere else. And there's a Star Trek episode where uh, I think what's uh, Will Wheaton breaks the uh, some I don't know he breaks mm-hmm. a piece of glass and they sentence him to death. <laughs> right. like, what random? What? <laughs> like dude, Heck yeah, it's just a piece of glass. Right. Children must know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, a retrieval artist is really a private investigator who will go find someone for you that has been disappeared. I, I bring and up Will That's Wheaton where that word comes from. Because uh, Will Wheaton's the narrator of the Android stream, which is out on Audible now. Um, and mm-hmm. Bryce is going to review that. I think we've talked cool. about the Android stream before, have we? Sounds fam- it sounds really familiar. I remember reading about it. Mm-hmm. Hi, that's I, I why know, it's in red. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it came Frank, out yeah. in 2010. Right. It's not new. Oh, okay. That's why it's in red. All these books in red. All right. When well, I'm scrolling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought we could just like mention them by title. Like all the Von Hefner Extinction Wars books are out and not in brilliance now and. The Star Force books by B.V. Larson, uh, the Doom Star books by Von Hepner. There's a bunch of those too. I heard the Android stream is pretty funny. Yeah, it sounded it sounded uh, humorous. It sounded uh, like Philip K. Dick as a humor story. Yeah. Um, there's one more book I'd love to mention um, called Future Crime. Oh yeah, I I, uh, I skipped past. Yeah. It's written. It's written by Ben Bova, um, narrated by J. Paul Bamer, Gabrielle Decure, and Stefan Rudnicki. Uh, it's uh, eleven and a half hours long. I found this really interesting because um, it says an exciting collection of SF stories by Hugo Award-winning author Ben Bova. No matter what strange forms the future takes, said Ben Bova in his introduction, crime and criminals will always be with us, and us with them. The need for law enforcement. Um, or and with them, the need for law enforcement. It says, included in this collection of short stories are the full-length novel City of Darkness, which I used to have on cassette. And you narrated to me, I think. Yeah, and narr- <laughs> it was narrated by Harlan Ellison. Really good narration. And it was, which is really great. Yeah, it was, it was, I think it was greatly improved by the narration. Totally. And then, um, and then it says Brillo. It includes Brillo. The famous collaboration between Bova and Harlan Ellison, which I have never heard of, oh, but must be famous. It, isn't <laughs> that a story that uh, Harlan sued TV for because they had a show where a cop had a robot partner and Harlan thought it was know. a ripoff of that search uh, of story? Oh, really? Yes, yeah, so yeah. that would be cool. Yeah. But a collaboration between Ben Bova and Harlan Ellison, heck, I'd read that in a, in a heartbeat. Yeah. So um, that to me is worth getting this book just to get that. It's too bad uh, Harlan Ellison isn't narrating any of these. Yeah, because uh, yeah, yeah, and it's too bad they just narrator. didn't keep keep his narration of City of Darkness, which I'm assuming they didn't, because it was really good. No, I think it might have been a novella first. Is that right, City of Darkness? Um, it was only like two. Cassettes. It was two cassettes. Yeah. yeah, it was two cassettes, and I don't think it was abridged. No, I think it was yeah. probably there was, so it was about three hours expanded long. version later. Yeah, good stuff though. Yeah, it was. Uh, had a really cool cover art too. Cool. I think I probably did a review of that back in the day. Of City of Darkness. Yeah. Cool. 
Yeah, what, what, what we used to do, Jenny, is I would I would send Scott some VHS tapes, and Scott would send <laughs> me some audiobooks. <laughs> hmm. Yes, or you, 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 in fact, yeah, this is, this is the way that file sharing used to happen. Yeah, that's <laughs> Jesse Willis, he sent me, he would say, he sent me the entire Babylon 5 series on DVD. Not copy DVDs. These are, were like his copies of the DVDs. They were legit, yeah, and I watched them and sent them back to him. Uh, and, uh, that's how I, it was a nightmare, <laughs> right. it was a nightmare to, uh, uh-huh. ship them back up, I think. But for me, it's cheap to ship down to the states. It's it's expensive mm-hmm. to ship back up. Huh. So Scott got the worst of that deal, <laughs> and and I think I got to keep, got to keep all of Scott's audiobooks too. Uh, <laughs> he was in this, you know, get getting rid of stuff mode instead of the heck yeah, mode. Heck yeah, I, I at one time I had a mountain of audiobooks. It was just outrageous because everything that we got was uh, hard copy. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome, and then overwhelming. It was all cassettes. Overwhelming, definitely. For a long while, yes, it was all cassettes. Wow. (laughs) I remember getting um, a Game of Thrones on cassette. That thing is, uh, it's, you have to put your hands wide apart like you've caught a fish. Mm -hmm. And then you have to, like, lift some weights to get ready to hold it because it's Uh (laughs) heavy. It was like 24 cassettes. cassettes 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 were really an excellent way to deliver audiobooks, you know, because when you stopped them, it remembered where you're at. Yep. And they actually held a lot of content, too. And it did, yeah. More than yeah. a CD. It yeah. can hold 90 minutes instead of 70 minutes. It's, right, right. It's, yep. CDs were a terrible change. So I think that we are demanding the return of cassettes, right. aren't we? Yes. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> We, oh, this is the old guys talk about audiobooks. Back <laughs> in my day. Back when I was here. Whatever. Heck, <laughs> I used to work in a sound archive, so I've spliced reel to reel, but. Reel to reel. I've heard of that. <laughs> Hashtag get cool. off my lawn. Speaking of old books. Um, yes. I just want to say uh, Future Cop was the TV show that Harlan sued, saying that it ripped off Brillo. Oh. And I put a link in the chat. Oh wow! I don't remember that. Yeah, please as a do. movie either. See, now I really, really want to read. I really, really want to hear that even more. That's why it's famous. Oh, that's so the thank name you. Of I didn't know Ellen that. Ellison's story is Future Cop. Oh, uh, Future Cop is a TV show. Oh, that supposedly ripped it off. I've never heard of that. I think Harlan so tried was... to get it made as a TV show, and they uh-huh. said no, but then they use it anyway. Yeah, that's like that. sounds typical. Uh, dystopia, collapse, apocalypse, and a sprinkling of utopia. <laughs> we start with a sprinkling because this is the book I got really excited about when I spotted it on Downpour. Um, not only has it got a great narrator, Stefan Rudnicki, it is a great book. A Pacific Edge by Kim Stanley Robinson. It's uh, part of a triptych, which is kind of like a series, I guess, except they're all standalones. Um, but they also are, uh, you know, a triptych is like when you get the first three books of, oh no, I guess just the three books of The Lord of the Rings, and you put them uh, side by side and you squish them together, you can see one big picture, right? Well, because it's based on a type of art. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like three panels, right? It's, yeah, it tells a story. I'm, I'm, rela- I'm relating it to our audience who it doesn't go to like uh, <laughs> European churches to see uh, icons, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tolkien, guys. It's like the Tolkien picture with the three, you know, oh. first one is the in the Shire, and the second one is like, uh, I don't know, down in Rohan. 
and the third one is Mordor. Right? It's a triptych. Yeah. Um, so this is book three of a triptych. Uh, the first two, which are not available on audio, um, and I don't know if that's because they're no good because I've not read them, but I heard Pacific Edge was really good. I heard is this about the most it. popular of the three. It's most popular with me. <laughs> okay. Um, it's the only one I've read. I heard about it on a show called Prisoners of Gravity, another old school Canadian show, which I sent down to Scott. Um, oh yeah, I've watched that on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. Prisoners of Gravity. And uh, it sounded fascinating. And I, I also it's really handy when you want to know what an author looks like. Uh, they had authors on the show. Um, and so I read this book in paper back in the days before it was available in audio. It just came out on audio. And uh, I, I thought it was awesome because it was so cool to have an, a utopia that almost is because there really aren't any. If you read science fiction, there's almost no utopian novels because there's very little to do with it. I read one terrible one called Ecotopia. Um, and it was terrible because it was, it was basically saying we should all be green and <laughs> it's just not a good novel. You know, it might've been good, good ideas, good story, uh, no good planning for our future, but it's not a good idea for a story. But this one, it invests you in the world, which is a sort of future in which people are trying to be living in harmony with their environment as best they can. And uh, the conflicts, though minor, are sort of secondary to the visit to this wonderful Orange County of the future. And I thought it was so cool. When Scott and I went well, first to, uh, first thing we did when we showed up at Worldcon, um, I was riding the escalator and on the escalator was Kim Stanley Robinson. I was like, holy shit, you're Kim, Kim Stanley Robinson. <laughs> I grabbed his hand and she's like, wow, I really loved your novel, Pacific Edge. And he's like, oh my God, this guy's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, well, that looks cool. Yeah. That does look good. I'd I got to read that. read along on this one, by the way. I love you, you scheduled I would, one already. I would, oh, yeah. good. Okay. Oh, I forgot about <laughs> oh, cool. that. Oh, cool. April 12th. <laughs> April the 12th. Who's Jenny, who's you're, you're up for this, right, Pacific Edge? I think so, yeah, if I can read it in time. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit in the context of a read-along about Brave New World, mm-hmm. because, you know, the whole utopia thing. But... All right. <laughs> Looks good. I got enthusiastic. I'm sorry. But though. there's no kaiju in this, right? <laughs> no kaiju. Okay. There's <laughs> like, a, like, like, I think there's like a deputy mayor that's a real jerk, something. Okay. Like, I can't remember. Doesn't it doesn't sound very thrilling, but I, I just found it fascinating. Cool. Okay, uh, next up like on this it. list, I also added uh, this to the list, Jenny, because um, it's read by Ron, Rob, Bronson Pinchot, um, and who is great. Yeah, he's a great narrator, and uh, I thought it sounded interesting. But I'd I'd be happy to sit back and let someone else read it. I'll read it. Thanks. It's called Mort. Uh, with an E in parentheses, mm-hmm. by Robert Rapino uh, from Blackstone Audio. 
And, okay, I'll just jump down here. The war with no name has begun. Its goal, human extinction. The instigator of this war is the colony, a race of intelligent ants who, for thousands of years, have been silently building an army that will forever eradicate the destructive, oppressive humans. Under the colony's watchful eye, this utopia will be free of the humans' penchant for violence, exploitation, and religious superstition. The final step in the colony's war effort is the transformation of surface animals mm-hmm. into high-functioning, two-legged beings who will rise up and kill their masters. Former house cat turned war hero Mort is famous for taking on the most dangerous missions and fighted, fighting the dreaded human bioweapon EMSAH. But the true motivation behind Mort's recklessness is his ongoing search for a pre-transformation friend, a dog named Sheba. Mm. When he receives a mysterious message from the dwindling human resistance claiming Sheba is alive, he begins a journey that will take him from the remaining human strongholds to the heart of the colony. So there's a cat on the cover. Mm-hmm. It's a cat book. Mm. <laughs> but with a cat love for dogs. Yeah. Um. Also, I, I like the description. It says, a genre-busting post-apocalyptic first novel, a pa- and then this terrible line, a pause-resisting adventure. I guess pause-resisting, it could be like a homophone. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but Anyways, a pause-resisting adventure channeling Animal Farm as imagined by Cormac McCarthy. And that is a, a pretty hard-to-imagine mix, isn't it? But it sounds totally weird, but I think Bronson Pinchot could pull this off. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah, Bronson Pinchot could pull anything (laughs) off. I think. Go ahead. Sorry. I just want to, I want to hear him doing a talking cat and a a talking dog. (laughs) And And an intelligent ant army. Yeah, the angry ants. It sounds interesting. At first I thought it would be a cozy mystery. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a cozy mystery, doesn't it? When they're talking wow. about who wants to visit his dog. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I just, uh, you guys may have mentioned this in the past, but I clicked on Bronson Pinchot just to see what his latest books are. Mm-hmm. And, and that, Mort, is his very latest. Yeah, it was it was brand new on the listing, and I just thought yeah. it was great. There's no reviews of these up, most of them, yet. Cool. So... On uh, on 12-2 of 2014, Area X, the Southern Reach Trilogy, Annihilation, Authority, and Acceptance are all in one package at Audible. And he's one of the narrators by Jeff Vandermeer. Yeah, I listened to that one, the second book. He does mm. the second book, and of course he is amazing. Mm. So each one's uh, got a different narrator? Does yeah, because they come fit? from different perspectives. Okay, cool. So the first one is... Fit. Yeah, the first one is the same woman that did The Hunger Games, and it's from the perspective of um, one of the scientists on the expedition who's female. And then the second one is from the perspective of control, um, uh-huh. so it's male. And I don't know who does the third. Is there another narrator listed for the third? Yeah, Z Sands. Xy. Xy. Xy? Yeah, she's pronounced Xy. Xy. Sands. I asked her about that, and she said, that's what my parents named me. I was like, is it short for Xenon? <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, she's probably heard that a million times. Mm-hmm. And she said it wasn't as often as that. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> oh. That's cool. So, Jenny, you didn't read the third one? No, I just, I read the print. Because okay. I own all three in print. 
the second one I just couldn't resist. I mean, he's such a good narrator that I bought it twice. <laughs> <laughs> who, who narrates the first one? Because I, Catherine McCormick. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I I don't I I don't like popular stuff, and that's a serious. <laughs> you know, but I mean, there must be something wrong with it. It's too popular. I know that's right. This wool one bugged me so much. <laughs> uh, now, this one is not a series. This next one, and it says Jenny will grab it if no one else does. I would totally want to read this as a read-along, because I want to watch the movie again. Oh, there's a movie? Oh, you don't know about the movie? Oh, it's based, Oh, it's Soylent Green. Yeah. yeah. No, I've never... I know of it, but I've never seen it. Never so seen Soylent Green! No. Head explodes! <laughs> <laughs> I thought I would read this and then watch the movie. I totally want to do that. Yeah, let's do it. All right. We'll put I'm it. having it sent to me. So Awesome. Uh, it's by Harry Harrison. Um, I I love Harry Harrison, but I've never read this book. Harry Harrison, to me, is a com- comedic writer. Um, I don't expect this to be a comedy. Um, he did all the... Yeah, he can be serious, too. Um, I read West of oh, Eden. right, right. Okay, yeah. West of Eden was excellent. It's the Stainless Steel Rat series is the one that I... Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a comic... Uh, yeah, it's fun. Fun, fun. It is. It is fun. Mm-hmm. He's also a comic book artist. Uh, yeah, he, and he lived in England. Uh, even He's American, but he lived in England, and um, I think that does th- things to people. <laughs> yeah, and this is from the 60s when overpopulation was such a mm-hmm. theme in science fiction, too. So. Oh, we fix that now. Oh, yeah. It's all <laughs> I'm just giving up talking about it. <laughs> uh, and it's funny because, you know, the world is crowded and everyone's miserable because they live on lentils and soybeans. That's mm-hmm. kind of like what I live on, but <laughs> <laughs> that's like a paradise. Um, I I just think I think it's wonderful that you haven't seen Silent Green the movie because it's such a wonderful film. I mean, I know the punchline. I everybody knows the punchline, yeah. but just uh, there's so many great sequences in it. And uh, okay. who's the who's the guy who plays the old man, Scott? Is it Borgnine? The old man in... Uh, Ernest Borgnine's a young whippersnapper. <laughs> um, I don't recall. Uh, he's, the, uh, he's a super famous actor, and he... It's like his last role. What the hell is his name? Um, he was like a gangster in his early movies. Oh, um... Oh, Edward G. Robinson. Ah, yes. Yeah, right. yeah that was see. his last role. And uh, he dies in the movie, and it's like one of the most beautiful death scenes in a movie. It's also horrible mm. and wonderful. So, yeah. Have, maybe Jenny can make us green snacks for the read-along. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to see that picture. <laughs> Little squares of green stuff. I will totally do that. Awesome. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be fun. Wow. Put it on the schedule. All right. Nice. Yum. <laughs> the Deep. I love it. By Nick Cut- Cutter. Um, read by Corey Brill. Simon & Schuster is the uh, publisher. And it's going to be reviewed by Alan. Um, from the acclaimed author of The Troop, which Stephen King raved about, saying, scared the hell out of me, and I couldn't put it down. Old school horror at its best. Is that your Stephen King voice? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> it doesn't sound like him, though. Uh, comes this utterly terrifying novel where the abyss meets the shining. I like I like both of those movies. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I guess they're both ones in the book as well. A strange plague called the Gets It Decimated Humanity on a Global... What? No. Called the Gets. Okay, I see. There's a missing letter. It's not a quote. Uh, Gets. Is decimating humanity on a global scale. It causes people to forget. Oh, I see. Small things at first, like they where they left their keys. Then not so small things like how to drive or the letters of the alphabet. Then their bodies forget how to function involuntarily, and there is no cure. By now, far below the surface of the Pacific Ocean, deep in the Mar- Marianas Trench, an heretofore unknown substance called, oh, sorry, hailed as ambrosia, has been discovered. A universal healer from initial reports, it may be the key to the universal cure. In order to study the phenomenon, a special research lab, the Trieste, has been built eight miles under the sea's surface, but now the station is incommunicado. And it's up to brave, a brave few to descend through the lightless fathoms in hopes of unraveling the mysteries lurking at the crushing depths, and perhaps to encounter an evil blacker than anyone could possibly imagine. I don't think that sounds terrible at all. It sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like sea sea stories and undersea stories too. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys uh, know you, everybody knows The Shining, right? Jenny, you've mm-hmm. seen The Shining, I assume. Mm-mm. Oh my god! <laughs> this is what happens when you grow up on a commune in Oregon or whatever. <laughs> There's a sequel too in book form. The Shining? Yeah. Is there? Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's recent. What about The Abyss? Have you seen The Abyss, Jenny? Nope. Oh, my God. <laughs> you got to see The Abyss. I think The Abyss is better than The Shining. Um, I would say so for sure. Oh, really? <laughs> You're not a fan yeah. of The Shining? Or did you not the, the, the movie, no. The book is wonderful. I think that the movie misses the book. Um, it's one of those cases where the point of the movie is different from the point of the book, I think. Yeah. yeah. There, is uh, no, there is no book for The Abyss, but um, it's just... Up until the very end, I I think it's a really terrific movie, and and then I think if you cut off the like the last five minutes of the movie, you should like just stop watching it there, and you say that was a great movie, and then pretend like the last five minutes doesn't exist <laughs> because it, yeah. it's not important. Um, but it has some re- amazing sort of science fictiony stuff that isn't all you know. There's no new technology really. It's just applications of existing stuff. There's one or two things that are um, theoretically possible only rather than... Is that a real thing where you, you breathe liquid oxygen? You have like a liquid? Yeah, well, sort of. Um, because, you know, they, they do it with a rat in the movie. Yeah. That's faked. That's not... But, yes, you, you can have uh, chemicals that are super saturated with oxygen, right? They did it on the TV show Scorpion, too. Scorpion. Or some kind of version of it where he was breathing in the water, but they did something that <clears throat> had him just get the oxygen. Uh, is, that, mm-hmm. uh, cool. is that a new show? That's the show based on the life of Walter something. Like a very super smart guy oh. that works for the government. Yeah, I, know. I, I think I might have seen it. It's just on like NBC or something like that. Okay. I'm totally going to try it now. <laughs> I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. 
in my backyard. Cool. Definitely watch. Well, you should watch the Abyss, Jenny. It's a very good movie. It's by James. Yes, James. Yeah, James Cameron. It should be enough to sell you on it. Um, Is that the one where he puts the um, the little robot down to look at the Titanic? Because I've seen that. <laughs> pretty much, it's what inspired it. He was a real big fan of. Uh, ocean stuff and this is before all of that huh, um, okay. and Funny. they filmed it in the bottom of like a, a nuclear reactors cooling tower um, and it's filmed underwater and it has a lot of good actors and Ed Harris is in it um, and uh, it just has some amazing scenes where like one of the characters has to be drowned because there's only one uh, you know helmet uh, with oxygen they have to choose, and it's it's really a powerful science fiction. It's, it's like truly science fiction, except the end part where it's, then you say, "What the fuck happened there? That's stupid." The aliens <laughs> did it with their quote unquote magic. I don't like that part. But well, now I don't have to watch it. No, no, it's just the very end part that doesn't make any sense. Everything else makes sense. And French comic book artist Mobius helped design it. Did he? Yeah, that that's cool because it looks sort of Mobius like. Hmm. All right. Cool. Well, we good movie. Fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's up next? Freedom Club. Someone else want to read that one? I did add that to the list. Do I have to read it? <laughs> I'll, I'll read think, it. Thank yeah, you, Scott. I, I think it's, it sounds good. All right. Uh, Freedom Club by Saul Garnell. The year is 2085, and the world dives blindly into capitalistic capitalistic hysteria while dreaming of a technologic singularity. India and China now dominate as economic leaders, and people have become over-reliant on the cold logic of artificial intelligence. Who can save the world from such self-inflicted decay? Here we find Sirmeet, the cream of Indian education, and a top-notch investment banker. But he's unhappy with the good life laid before him, and soon meets Shinzu Freeman, a mysterious consultant who offers solace from the fetters of unbridled capitalism. But Shinzu is not all that he seems, and Sumit is unwittingly drawn into the hunt for an unusual terrorist group, one where the lines between terrorist, freedom fighter, hero, and madman all break down. Welcome to the Freedom Club. Both men explore a future world overrun by consumerism, technology, and discontent, where being human isn't good enough as godlike sentient beings threaten the very meaning of life. Goodness. Yeah, it sounds... It's, wow, it's got a lot of stuff. It does have a lot of stuff, and it, it's not like one I would totally just pick up and read, because mm-hmm. I need someone to sit me down in the review and say, Jesse, this is why you're going to love it. Or, Jesse, this is why you don't need to read this, because it has all sort of the interesting things that I want to read about, but it could be terrible. I've never heard of Saul Garnell. And uh, it's 13 hours, which is a little longer than me. Uh, so, yeah, I, I want to hear somebody's review of this. And there, there are no reviews of it up. But it, it sounded promising and looks like it's got robots in it based on the cover. Um, I like I like all of those things. Cool. It sounds a little Jenny, too. With the little sort of dystopic stuff. It doesn't use the word, but it sounds dystopic. Yeah, it sounds cold. A touch. Cool. Well, next All up, right. we got uh, Trigger Warning. Short Fictions and Disturbances by Neil Gaiman. 
Love yeah, it. it's coming I out think. soon, February 3rd. Yeah. Narrated by that's Neil cool. Gaiman, too. That's a good thing. Yeah, he's yeah. a great reader. His third collection of short fiction. Yeah. Okay. Can't go wrong there. <laughs> Just looking through, seeing if I recognize... I don't think I recognize... Oh, yeah, I do. There's a couple of stories I've read in there. Click, 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 clack, the rattle bag. Right, because if you're an audible person, you got that one for yep. free. Um, and a story, Black Dog, that's in the universe of American Gods. Ooh, that'd be good. It's kind of neat. And then Adventure Story, which too. is... Yeah. Adventure Story goes along with Ocean at the End of the Lane, so it's kind of like he's mm-hmm. revisiting some of his other worlds, which I like that. Yeah. I think he he does them... Uh, there's a couple others like this where they do sort of tryouts to see if they like something. Because I remember before American Gods came out, there was there was a story that could have been in American Gods. Hmm. Um, so he's just sort of... I, I would bet if you looked at the timeline on those, that they are like, okay, I'm going to write this. And then see he sees how it flows and see if it's interesting. And then... Oh, you know who did that? It's Elmore Leonard. Elmore Leonard was a really clever writer. He would He would find some sort of little thing he says there's something here but he doesn't he's not one of those plotters where you know i'm gonna do this and this and this he's a you know what are they i was listening to a podcast and they called it a pantser there's two kinds of writers there's the plotters and the pantsers the plotters you know figure out what's going to happen before they write it and the pantsers they just have an idea and they just let fly by the seat of their pants you know Mm -hmm. um and elmore leonard when you would read a uh, novel, you would sometimes then find a short story that came out, you know, like six months or a year before the novel, and it's like, huh, that's it's if it's not the same character, it's the same setup, the circumstances. Um, and uh, if you remember, there was a, a very good George Clooney uh, movie um, with one of those famous singers, actors, J Lo. J Lo. What's that one called? Out of Sight. Yes. Um, so Out of Sight was preceded by a, a little short story, and I think they turned that into a TV series. They did that with Justified as well. It's based on a short story that was also turned into books, uh, full novels as well. Um, so I think Neil Gaiman is like that in that he, he isn't, um, you know, plotting out everything in advance. He's, he's He's got an idea, and he's exploring, and then he sets that up with a little short story, and then he feels confident in that, and he goes to a big, big thing. I just think also, it's an interesting way to write. And, and it's also hard to refer to as gardeners and architects. Oh, okay, yeah. The gardener improvises, and the architect points right. it out. Sees what grows, and yeah, that that makes sense. Um, Lawrence Block, another one of my favorite writers, is is like that. He, and Donald Westlake, you know, they they don't plot anything out. They just sort of have. Okay, I feel like I'm going to write this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephen King is a gardener. Is he? Yes. That would explain his short story output, too. Yeah. He said he planned out the dead zone, but that's the only thing that he liked that was and, planned. And uh, from my understanding um, of the Dark Tower, he's a pantser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't work out. Whatever. I don't know. I haven't read it. Next up. Mm-hmm. Next up. Um... How about The Globe, The Science of Discworld? The Science of Discworld 2? So this is the second one? A novel. Yeah. 
a novel. I don't understand that. <laughs> the acclaimed Science of Discworld centered around an original Pratchett story about the wizards of Discworld. In it, they accidentally witnessed the creation and evolution of our universe in a plot interwoven with a Cohen and Stewart nonfiction narrative about big science. In the globe, the same structure applies, only this time the themes are human science. History, origins of language, archaeology, anthropology, evolutionary psychology, and overall the importance of story to our culture. Huh. I don't think it's a novel. There's a well-known theory that there are only seven stories known to man. The elves of Discworld have discovered an eighth. A story (laughs) of an awesome, awesome power that they plan, that they play out on round world, Earth. In their attempt to defeat the witches of Disrobe. Wow, sounds super meta. Yeah. It is. Totally and meta. That theory is outdated these days, but still studied it when I went to get a degree in folklore. What? Well, what theory? <laughs> the thing about the seven stories? Yeah, that all stories must have come from one central place, and that um, all these old researchers, they collect all these stories and then try to track them down to the origin story. I would guess it's like, ma- it's like math. Math is you know, universal no matter where you go. I think if you went out to, uh, you know, another galaxy and found some aliens, they would have very similar stories to what we've got. But there are charts. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the, it's like, you know, one, one, you know, civilization could figure out pi and another one can figure out pi. It's not that that'd be my guess as to how it works. Yeah. But, Still really interesting, though. Kind of fun to be meta about his own work. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I've so not read any of those Discworld books, so I would definitely yeah. not start with this one unless uh, no. this is the best way to go. But uh, The next few that are listed are like books either in the middle of a series that we've already talked about or books that have been previously published in Audible, so I'm just going to read through the names. That's all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Viper Game by Christine Fian, Ghostwalker's number 11, Burned by Karen Mori Moaning, Fever number seven, Poison Promise by Jennifer Estep, which is Elemental Assassin book 11. There's also Black Widow, which is Elemental Assassin number 12. The Curious Case of Miss Amelia Vernet by Dana Cameron. It's a short story in the Fangborn universe. And then I have one that's actually number three from a series, but I don't remember us ever talking about it and it sounded kind of interesting. So I'm just going to go ahead and read that one. It's called End Singer by Jay Kristoff, read by Jennifer Akita. Um, it's from The Lotus War, number three. Ever heard of that one? Mm-mm. Okay. This is, I guess, the third book in a trilogy. Um, with Storm Dancer, Jay Kristoff came roaring into the fantasy scene. He has been praised as the master of unique and intense plots and huge twists. I'm going to skip down past all the quotes. As Civil War sweeps across the Shima Imperium, the Lotus Guild unleashes their deadliest creation, a mechanical Goliath intended to unite the shattering empire under a yoke of fear. Yukiko and Buru are forced to take leadership of the rebellion, gathering new allies and old friends. But the ghosts of Buru's past stand between them and the army they need, and Kin's betrayal has destroyed all trust among their allies. So, I won't read the rest pretty long <laughs> but it's a dis- it's a japanese dystopian steampunk world <laughs> wow yeah sounds like a case for tam i know tam uh homey i gotta wait for the manga version yeah <laughs> it seems like it should have it probably yeah. already is one yeah um 
you know, I, I don't see a lot of other great stuff on this list, but I do want to talk about the classic at the end. So anybody. Well, I don't want to miss the next one. Okay. What's, what's next? Um, well, it's just number one in a new series, Servants okay. of Fate by Sarah Fine. It's called Marked. Uh, one of our reviewers is taking this one. So, uh, and maybe, maybe we mentioned this last time. I don't know. Now it's sounding kind of familiar. The Boston Paramedic. Hmm. Did we talk about a paramedic last time? In a broken landscape carved by environmental collapse, Boston paramedic yeah. Kasia yeah. Ferry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Be familiar. Brings a bell. Yeah, it was just interesting that the character was paramedic. But we don't need to talk about it again. <laughs> yeah, and so then there's the new um, Chronicle of the Unhewn Throne, The Providence of Fire by Simon Vance. No, by Brian Staveley, read by Simon Vance. Uh, yeah. And we had people excited about that one. Traditional fantasy. Traditional epic fantasy. Yeah. And then there's these three books by Piers Anthony. I just didn't know how to categorize them. The Apprentice Adept series. Oh, yeah. Those are those are fantasy. <laughs> That's set in space. I okay, guess yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's magic and stuff. I mean, these are books that I... I think I read one of them... I had like a big omnibus edition from the science fiction book club of these, but I don't think I ever read the whole thing. I think I read the first novel in it. Um, but yeah, this is, these are really old books. Yeah. And they're being re-released. So nothing new really, but they're out there. Are these the really kinky ones? I don't remember. I think he runs. I think I would have remembered when I read these, if that was the case. (laughs) Okay. Uh-huh. I would have read the other two probably. <laughs> yeah. Under your bed. Under my bed, right. <laughs> and then yeah. I threw in a classic. Thank you. Just for you, Jesse. Right at the end. If it's from the nineteenth century or earlier, I'm very interested. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the strange, strange case. case. Yes, everybody drops that. The strange case. Or actually, you know what? It's not the. It's just strange case, which is even stranger. Um, the the has been added because everybody says that's weird. It doesn't have the in front, but it's strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson, read by Donald Pickering. And uh, it's it's strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Everybody knows this story. We, we did a show on it. Um, but if you haven't read it, you should. It's kind of cool. Because it's not what you it's not what you think exactly. I mean, every adaptation of it, they always change it. Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde are not exactly separate. It seems like that that's the point of it, and whenever it's visualized, but they're really a lot more close together than than we think. It's 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 very psychological. Um, doesn't grow a lot of hair and stuff well he gets smaller actually he's like a homunculus sort of um, he's, he's, he's got vices that's what he's got he likes to go to drinking and, like, if, if you said it today he would be going to like those uh, those bars where they have women who are allowed to touch you but you're not allowed to touch them sort of thing he'd be like hanging out sort of in the scrubby side of town um Whereas he's he's like an upstanding citizen, uh, as Mr. Doctor Jekyll's like he's he's not a bad person. 
right? He's just a normal guy. Mr. Hyde's not a bad person. He's just kind of an asshole. Hmm. He he does he does bad things, but he does he doesn't have like a malicious intent or anything. He's just sort of an asshole going around. And so it's it's much more like just about one person. It's very interesting. Psychologically, it's it's very rich. So it's yeah, not like that. It's not like that Alan Moore comic book where he gets really big and really strong. Well, that's... It's like in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, yeah. he's doing... Um, it, it's interesting because it, he doesn't get big in the book. He gets smaller, actually. But the um, in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you sort of see that, yeah, he doesn't really want to be uh, Dr. Jekyll. That's why he does... He, he, the Mr. Hyde is a license to sort of uh, indulge in his in his fantasies and desires. And that's kind of... It's it's much more interesting, I think. So it, Mr. Hyde is the id. Yeah, he's very iddy. Yeah. S- Scott or Jenny or Tammy, you read a short story by, by uh, Stevenson called Markheim. It's a Christmas story. Uh, no, I have not. Mm-mm. Well, I recommend you you do so. It's very interesting. It's it's uh it's a set in London. You know, sort of. It's sort of like a sort of a really scary version of and shorter, much shorter of uh, Charles Dickens's you know A Christmas Carol. In that it's about uh, Christmas redemption. Um, but the main character is a guy named Markheim who is basically just a, a robber, and he goes into a shop to rob but the guy won't you know leave him alone to you know steal anything and so he we get very quickly that you know he's willing to kill him to get the money um and he does kill him but then the devil appears and uh he has to sort of decide whether he's going to keep going down the path of being a complete evil awful human being or redeem himself and uh, it's it's a really lovely, weird, horrible story. Because the devil might not be the devil. It might be, you know, Jesus or something. It's very interesting. And it's nice and short. What I really think needs redeeming is there's a musical, Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> and the musical is fine, but David Hasselhoff... Oh, no. The played- Oh my gosh! It's the worst performance I've ever seen. Well, second to Russell Crowe and Les Mis. Uh, I wish I could wipe that from my memory and somehow have that redeemed. <laughs> but in Japan, it's a big hit. Um, I'm sure. You know, Two Face from um, from Batman is kind of a Doctor Jack. I mean, there's a lot of them. It, the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk, is also. Um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's 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 kind of a interesting thing because he's not, you know, you don't classify, you know, there's Dracula, there's the zombies, right? There's all sorts of monsters. But this this one is interesting because it it does parallel. And so when you read the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, um the Mr. Hyde character seems like he's he's kind of like an evil Hulk. Um and the reason for that is because Hulk is basically uh is Bruce Banner as Dr. Bruce Banner is Dr. Jekyll, right? Except he's innocent. He didn't ha- want it to have it happen on purpose. Um, so it's less morally complex, but very interesting. And also, there's a little Lego minifig of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is important. 
It's, it's in one. <laughs> Did you know that the Hulk was gray in the beginning, but it looked so bad on newsprint that they changed it to green? Yeah, and they changed him uh, back to gray for a while, and I think he went red. Right. Well, that's a different guy. Oh, is it? There was, uh, yeah. there was a red Hulk? There was a red yeah. Hulk. And there's a She-Hulk, too. Yeah, and there's a red She-Hulk, too. <laughs> a red She-Hulk. A red She-Hulk. Why? Crazy. Actually, uh, the, the the new She-Hulk comic is really funny. They, it's written by this guy that's also a lawyer, so they have like authentic lawyer scenes, <laughs> and uh, there's more comedy thrown in. It's pretty good. Oh. You reading? You reading comics, Tim? Yeah, I've, I've really gone heavily into comics. In floppies or in trades? Uh trades. Okay. I don't really go. I just go to the bookstore. I don't go to the comic book store. Right. Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> Although I, I hear there's a really good uh, one in New Jersey somewhere. Oh, the uh, Kevin Smith one? Yeah. I think they have a lot of stock. Yeah, I think it's in Red Bank. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. 